Welcome to our Deloitte Legal on Air Summer Trip Podcasts. My name is Moni. I'm your podcast host. And today we are talking about our special cooperation with China. So we are talking about the China Desk. It does not take many words to describe the enormous significance of the Sino-German business relationships. Relations between Germany and China are currently more intensive than ever before. Despite the currently difficult framework conditions, this applies in particular to economic cooperation between the two countries. Germany is by far China's most important trading partner in Europe. Conversely, China is the number one economic partner country for Germany in Asia. The bilateral trade volume in 2019 was around 206 billion euros. German exports to China accounted for 96 billion euros and Chinese exports to Germany for 110 billion euros. This makes China, ahead of the Netherlands and the USA, Germany's most important trading partner. To ensure that cross-border matters, including legal matters, run smoothly, Deloitte has a dedicated team of experts to provide advice and support. Deloitte Legal's China Desk is composed of representatives from Deloitte Legal Germany and Deloitte Legal China, King Li. They are also part of Deloitte's larger Chinese services group or CSG, which combines experts in the wider area of doing business with China from Deloitte's other businesses, for example, audit and insurance, tax and consulting, to name a few. Today, I'm sitting here with Michael Fischer and Alexander Georg Fischer. Michael Fischer, expert for corporate law, advice and M&A transactions at Deloitte Legal in Munich. And his last name twin, Alexander Georg Fischer, also specialist for corporate law and M&A at Deloitte Legal in Shanghai, talk about the country-specific characteristics, challenges and opportunities with me. So... Hi, Mr. Fishers. <laughs> Thank you for being here, talking with me about these important topics. Thank you, Moni. Happy to be here. And uh, Ni Hao, Huan Ying Jatsa, a warm welcome to our listeners. Hey, Moni. Thank you. And Michael, many thanks for having me today. And I'm really pleased to contribute to our talk today. All the best from Shanghai. That's so cool that you can speak Chinese. I think that's so impressive. <laughs> But to start with the first question, what are the particular legal challenges and core elements in your daily advisory practice? Well, I, I would say at our China desk, we are always uh, very close to the ups and downs of the business to and from China and are quite often directly affected by the well, so to speak, picture of economic life, the macro economics. And while we have seen a peak level of transactions and investments from China a few years ago, we all know that has changed significantly because of the more restrictive regulatory framework in Europe on the one hand and on the other hand because of the regulation of the capital market in China. So that as an example only, well, the economies are very interwoven. And so we will see a big number of ongoing transactions and projects and activities. However, I think there are a number of drivers 
which will influence what we will see and what will come up. That is still the ongoing supply chain issues. We see a stronger control of fintech companies against the background, of course, that the stability of the financial system shall be ensured. And, well, data privacy is certainly a, a topic. We expect new laws in that area coming into effect in September. And another aspect which will certainly influence what will be next regarding the Sino-German business is the generation of liquidity in China. There was quite recently a reduction of the bank's mandatory minimum reserves. And so there was liquidity set free in the amount of about 130 billion euros. And last not least, many will know about the Made in China 2025 initiative, which will also very likely influence what we will see in the next years. But to be more specifically, maybe on the issues we have to cope with in our daily business, and that is different as compared to maybe other a country desks, communication is always an, an issue. And I do not mean verbal language only. Alex will certainly know what I'm talking about. And he is uh, fluent in Mandarin and also in uh, Korean. So it's something in addition. Thank you, Michael. I think you have really, from what you just have said, and you have summarized it very well and you reflected perfectly what is the current recent status of the Sino-German relationship. When I started my career in China 20 years ago in Beijing in 2001, uh, at that time, China just joined the WTO and liberalized the wholesale retail sector as well as other industrial sectors for foreign invested companies. At that time, led to the peak of foreign investments into China, either through greenfield investments by setting up joint ventures, wholly foreign ent enterprises, partnerships, etc., or through M&A transactions, share deals or asset deals as you know them in the Western world. At that time, each foreign investment had to follow a really severe state approval and registration scheme in China, as China wanted, of course, to be in control of the incoming foreign investments. During the last five to seven years, the legal challenges and core elements, of course, have changed. The retreat approval system has been abolished. Most of the foreign investments restrictions have been lifted. Interactions with authorities nowadays have been digitalized, and the officer in charge you might only meet at the end of the entire process. And authorities in China are now being linked to each other and can exchange information in the blink of an eye. This is really totally different from what I have learned, I've seen, witnessed in Europe over the years. However, also most of the restrictions have been lifted. There are still a lot of obstacles in China currently. One is still the exchange of foreign currencies and the transfer of funds in and out of China, which are still subject to a severe foreign forex control system. And Last but not least, of course, COVID is now the major hurdle in the Sino-German business. To apply for a business visa or even for people who live and work in China to leave China and to spend some vacation time in Europe or in America and to come back is really difficult now. 
What is really interesting and one of the major key takeaways from all these legal desks, I recognize that the cultural differences are a big point in these cooperations with the different desks. But are there also any other particular pitfalls that our listeners should be aware of? Yes. Well, it's always good advice. But it uh, even more applies to Sino-German business. Think out of the box. It's, it's always quite important that you as an advisor have an idea of what other implications a project uh, could have, be it uh, tax issues, certain accounting issues, and often, of course, questions of foreign direct investment, just to name a, a, a few different aspects. Why do I say this? Chinese clients often see Deloitte as their provider of a comprehensive solution, which is basically good. And in fact, quite frequently, Deloitte is seen and being involved as one. Deloitte has a, a history of more than 175 years now in China and enjoys a very high reputation and a lot of trust, but also a challenge. Because at the same time, Chinese business women, businessmen and companies usually less trust in external services and are often quite sensitive in, in terms of costs. So you have to get around with this, well, sort of tension, I would say. And having this in mind, you should always have a distinct and precise description of the scope of services that the clients request and that you will have to be rendered. Expectation management is key to avoid disappointments. What are their pitfalls and um, what I have seen over the last two decades? Among them, there are two which I would like to name. The first one is foreign shareholders, especially middle-sized companies like traditionally for Germany, have established daughter companies all over the world. However, They often lack of functioning structures if it comes to compliance. At the beginning, they invest a lot of time and efforts to prepare the documentation. However, it does not really help if the local teams do not act accordingly and are not controlled properly. The living expenses, for instance, apartments, children, education in the mega cities in China, like Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, are really high. For a decent apartment in Shanghai, you have to pay around about 1 million euro. And those high costs are sometimes not affordable uh, just with a normal salary. This, of course, causes then, for instance, sales teams to seek for various sources for a second or third income. Second pitfalls which I could serve over the years are IP issues. Foreign shareholders sometimes still regard China as the slavish imitator and product pirate of all technology-related IP rights and therefore come to the conclusion, oh, no, not to apply for any IP protections of their IP technologies for the territory of China. Also, they actually started production here. And during that process, Chinese competitors, of course, They observe the market and start to apply for those IP rights for the territory of China and could easily restrict the foreign investors to use the technology, of course, provided that they have registered then their IP rights successfully within the territory of China. So can you tell us about a specific case? How did you solve the problem? 
I do not have a specific uh, case in mind. However, what is always important is that you consider each project individually. And depending on its respective size and the required expertise, we set up mixed teams. That means teams with members from China and from Germany. And we do that from the initial business generation phase until and including the completion of a project. Again, Michael, cannot agree more with you. <laughs> you, you hit the point again. So... What can I add? From my perspective, I can only add that within Deloitte, such a huge organization, we have actually no language barriers. We have various business lines, fast finance, tax, legal, RA, forensic. And of course, we have then the corresponding expertise and we are able to stuff teams to meet the individual requirements of each client in that Sino-German business, which is, of course, essential. So what would be your recommendation to our listeners who are interested in becoming active in China? Well, for sure, they should talk to us and uh, we can help identifying the specific circumstances and, and what it takes to respond to their needs appropriately. The applicable regulatory framework needs to be clarified. What authorities need to be involved for approvals and licenses, etc. Funding and a lot more aspects must be dealt with. And what's quite important is you have to keep in mind China is a very large country with many, many regional differences. However, our Chinatas can connect our listeners with the right context because they should know that Deloitte China, with its staff of approximately more than 20,000, has 25 offices, Alex, you correct me if I'm wrong, across the whole country. Michael reflected correctly again. So from my perspective, I just add the Chinese perspective, and this is something I have been taught by my Chinese father-in-law who always emphasized towards me, it's not the law which is so important in China. It's much more important to know the man behind the law in order to understand it. And here we come actually to the value of guanxi, meaning the relationship network in China, which still rates a lot as the business culture in China is significantly influenced by Confucianism. Then secondly, of course, plenty of market research is needed before stepping into the market is crucial. In addition, Michael made again the valid point about the regional differences. China is a huge country. Industrial clusters in the first tier cities vary from the third ones. So before we end our cool Chinese desk podcast, my last question would be, if I'm now visiting China on business or on holiday, what should I definitely not miss? Well, Moni, you should definitely visit China, but it's a, a really big question. Where to start? <laughs> of course, it will depend on where you go. And I, I leave it to Alex to give you first-hand advice on Shanghai, where he's living. And I was totally impressed by the city of Chongqing in the province of Sichuan, which really is as large as Austria and has a population of about 30 million as well. It's uh, most likely one of the largest cities most people have never heard of, except 
maybe for people in Düsseldorf, uh, because Düsseldorf and Chongqing are twin cities. And there in Chongqing, the spicy hot pot is a delicacy and stands for the local food culture. When eating the hot pot, families and friends together and surround by the steaming hot pot talking with each other. So an experience you really should make. Thanks to Michael again. Shanghai is of course definitely the city and worthwhile visiting as it's a combination of tradition and Western cultures. Modern life on authentic communism. I live here already more than 14 years and I really enjoy it. But I have to tell you, actually, it was a swampy field in slums 30 years ago. And therefore, you can actually imagine what has been done during these last 30 years. Another unique city which I would like to mention here is Guangzhou, which is the capital city of Guangdong province, where the Greater Bay Area Initiative called to promote its global transport hub and, of course, eating culture. It has a reputation as one of the country's food capitals and is most famous for its Cantonese cuisine. So many, many thanks you both for these exciting insights and for your Mandarin skills, Alex. It's really cool and impressive that you can talk Mandarin, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. And thank you also, Michael Fischer, for joining our podcast and enrich it with so many facts and figures, which are very important to know about these country-specific cooperation when you're talking about China. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. So, dear listeners, thank you very much for listening and taking your time listening to this podcast. I hope you were able to make or take away some helpful information from this episode. If you're enjoying our Summer Trip podcast, please feel free to pass it on. We have still a few episodes to go. You can listen to them. And if you have any feedbacks, questions, suggestions, you can find in our show notes mailbox or an email address and a phone number. You can contact us directly and have a nice day. Take care and listen to our podcast very soon. Bye. Bye.